So 21st century leadership, combination of inclusivity. It's a global world. This isolationism of just focusing on one country in a world where everything has a trickle-down effect um, takes a leader who can see globally. And I, and, I think still and still protect this country's best interests. Right. Right. And, and, I, and I think if they can create a solution, a global solution in many cases with the country's best interest in mind, um, that leader can get stuff done. That leader can cross the, cross the, uh, the chasm known as the, you know, the, the left and right. I hope so. But more importantly, that's what we need. And if, and if someone appears and is allowed to and makes it, they won't, we won't know for years to come. But that's what we need to get out of this. Right. Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. We'd like to welcome a supporter, sponsor, and friend of both Dr. Nelson and myself, and that's Nationwide. And Nationwide has decided to support the Courageous Conversation podcast. So on behalf of Dr. Nelson, I would like to express our sincerest appreciation to the people at Nationwide for their support of the Courageous Conversation podcast. You know what? I want to take a minute. I want to take a minute and talk to leadership here. Because I do think a lot of the problems and issues are, are as a result of, of leadership and the need for greater leadership in, in many different ways. And I think that you and I have both had roles in, in the leadership fashion. And we probably haven't talked about leadership much in the last two years directly. We've talked about it in a much more indirect fashion. But I, I think I want to take a minute, and, and this doesn't have to be a long discussion, but I just want to take a minute and just start to encourage people to become more involved from a leadership standpoint, because I think it's up to leaders to help ensure that our future is insured and, and that we come together and, and we address people's concerns and we answer questions and we help others relate better to one another. And so I think we've talked about conversations, but I think I want to just talk about leadership and the need for leaders to help engage and encourage in those conversations. So that, I'd like to go in that direction for a minute, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. Are you in agreement that leadership is what helps direct a lot of, of the conversations that we had and that influential leaders can help bring communities together, help connect people and, and ultimately determine the culture? Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to make that a plastic. Yes. But it, you know, to me, that's like baseball, mom and apple pie. Leadership is, is, is important. I'm not sure you asked the question you really are trying to ask here. Well, um, I think there's an, in, there's an implied question that says, do we have a lack of strong leadership to help us get through the challenges that we're facing in this imperfect storm that we're currently existing in? Um, I don't think the answer to that question will occur un until you can make a historical perspective. Okay. And I'm not being nice or I'm just being pragmatic here. I think that we have gone through a period of ineffective, well, 
of questionable leadership. But I have to be honest with you. I believe you tend to measure leadership by the poles of beliefs that you have, as opposed to looking at the outcomes of the leader that you're looking at. And when I say outcomes, I don't necessarily mean whether they achieve what you wanted or not, but rather whether they were able to achieve what they wanted. And so if I can just be blunt, I think that if I look at Obama and Trump, I think they were both good leaders for the issues that they championed. I believe that of the two, Trump may have been even more effective for dastardly reasons, but still more effective. I guess I need to make it clear that I abhorrent to his worldview, and I disdain the tactics of coercion, violence, manipulation, deceit in order to achieve what he wanted to achieve. But I believe that his favorite book, Mein Kampf, is also a reference to another leader who was very effective and got this entire country into a world war. I believe Putin is a good leader. Excuse me, not good, an effective leader. I believe it is much more difficult to be an effective leader, a strong leader, when you are also trying to observe values that are important or conducive to the survival of society. Because it takes a much more effective leader to convince someone to subvert their self-interest even a little bit in order to move society forward so that it might survive longer and so that the greater good is accomplished for more people. The people that I named on the other side are clearly in it for themselves, but that self-interest appears to be a greater motivator to become an effective leader than the other. So I hate to say it, but you asked a pregnant question when you talk about leadership here. Because I can lead in several ways and still be effective. And leaders need followers. And everybody that you have mentioned so far had followers. I look at the impact of, of leadership in its ability to exact change. And so everybody that you've also talked about has exacted change. They've just done it in different ways. And the change has had different impact, different effect, or will have different effects, right? Because of Trump's hubris and because of Mitch McConnell's diabolical play, we stacked the Supreme Court. Because the Senate's confirmation hearings are nothing but jokes now, we stacked the Supreme Court. And now we're in danger of a political manipulation and just expanding the Supreme Court. Imagine the chance of getting another Trump in office when we have 14 justices. Well, my direction was really to kind of move towards leadership in 2022 and leadership from a more empathetic standpoint. I figured that, but I'm sorry. I could not just follow that narrow path. I know. Well, because your question was about leadership. Right. It wasn't about 
what type of leadership do we need for the in the future? Now I'm going to take you down the narrow path. Okay, we're going to go down Alice's rabbit hole, which is a narrow path, and talk about what type of leadership we need for the future. And I think right now, in the face of inflation, the threat of a recession, the battles that are going on in the Ukraine, and the current environment in the United States with post Roe v. Wade and guns, that empathetic leaders, people who build trust, I think we need to start to look in a little bit different direction and people who lead with their hearts and, and are seeking to understand. I think we need to try to find some more leadership from that fashion. Hmm. Well, good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your support, Phil. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, no, I, I'm not sure you worded it exactly. What let me, let me play back what I thought I heard. Okay. You think that what we need now is someone who is less empathetic, less understanding, and more, more knowledgeable, and more willing to make the hard decisions. Quite the opposite, Phil. No, I think we need leaders right now that are more, empath more empathetic, more understanding, more involved with conversations, more listening, seeking to understand. I, I think we need open, empathetic communication now. I, I Quite the opposite. I think we need to have uh, leaders who, who can engender trust. But at some point, that leader has to make a decision. Correct. Right? And yeah. after we've had all these conversations, right. we're going to have conversations with people who, who are on both sides or three sides or four sides of the issue. Right. And then the leader is going to have to make a decision. Right. So I don't have a problem with the empathy, but the conversations can't go on forever. If there's a recession, it's going to hit. The uh, Ukrainian war may last six months, may last four years. What else do we need other than someone who can talk? I think the fact that somebody actually would listen to all sides is a start. I agree with that. That's fine. But is, does that leader become a bad leader once they made a decision and half the sides is no longer included no, think, in that decision? I think what has happened in many cases in the past is that they didn't listen to the other sides. At least by listening to the other sides, they, the, they may make a decision that somebody's not going to agree with, but people feel like they had a voice. I think you have a uh, Disney World approach to that then. Because based on how hardened our view, our positions are right now, I'm surprised we got a gun bill through Congress. I, th I think that gun bill passed for two reasons. Because Mitch McConnell still didn't want to do it. He just couldn't stop it from coming to the floor because the Republican Party would, would have definitely taken the hit, right? He's, he, brought, he allowed it to come to the floor, but he still tried to stop his party members from voting for it. Now, the reason it passed is because we had too many purple state Republican members who knew they weren't going to get reelected if nothing happened. And the reason he allowed it to come to the floor is because he realized he was risking the majority in the Senate. This election in November could totally turn around just based on guns. It still could, but it's so entrenched. Those views are so entrenched right now that if Biden made a decision that did not, that whichever side was disinfected, they would make him a bad, they would just call him a bad leader. Now, I, I'm not saying he shouldn't listen. I'm, I'm not saying that. Trump made no effort 
to act as if he was listening to anybody else. He came in with his mind made up or his plan set, right? And frankly, that was a total shift from what from the way Obama tried to do everything. Obama came in and all you know, he said, I'm, "We're going to do health care," but then he tried to get everybody to put their part in it, and he almost lost it because people came in and put poison pills in, and he didn't even protect it from against that. He was fortunate that he got it out, and more importantly, it was it was so good that the American people won't let it die now. So all that being said, what type of leadership do you see being needed going forward? What do, you, what do you think is necessary to make some of the changes or to address some of the issues that can maybe bring some cooperative nature going forward? What do you, what do you think we need to do? Well, I, as I said, I do agree that we need somebody who's willing to bring everybody to the table. Right. But when you bring them to the table, they should have they should get three messages. One is I brought you to the table because I respect, I, I, I believe you're a good, clear thinker and I respect your opinions. I don't always agree with them, but you represent a significant portion of the country and, and you have some good points that we, that we should not forget. And so I, and, and therefore I need you at the table for those reasons. I'm not promising that we're going to adopt anything to any of you, despite what you think you know about my position, right? I will admit that I come in with biases, but those biases can be changed. But I am not going to blow smoke and say I don't have a skeleton of an idea of how to approach this. And anything that survives will stay. Anything that's changed will be changed based on the aggregate discussion. That part I get, I understand from you, right? But then I will have to say, but at some point a decision has to be made and that will be my decision based on the consensus I think we're able to obtain here. And, I, and, and I'm not gonna put up with, with uh, blackmail politics or blowing up or poison pills or trying to blow up the discussion. I'd rather you not be at the table if that's what we have to do, because the problem is still there and must be addressed. Now, that's how I would hold the discussion and in, in order to come up with the best possible approach. I think the leaders of the near future have to deal with the major issues first that are mo most pressing. And honestly, I, th I think it's not our economy, it's Ukraine, because Ukraine is essentially initiating all of the economical reactions. Putin picked the worst time to, from an economic perspective, to invade Ukraine coming out of a pandemic. So Ukraine would be my number one priority. And in addressing it, I would address it with the economy in mind as well, not just the, the humanism of the war itself and the politics of the war, but the Im impact is having across this nation uh, or excuse me, across the globe. The Ukraine was the, bread, was the world's breadbasket for wheat. We have tripled the number of people starving in Africa because they can't afford the prices of wheat now. UNICEF has had to cut in half the number of people that they were helping because they can't, because their budget can only buy a third of the grain that they used to could buy. 
and the half that's getting help, they're getting less help. This is a global war already. And so we need a leader that is going to explain the pain, not just to Americans. We don't need France to talk to France. We don't need Germany's chancellor to talk to just Germany. We need NATO to talk to the globe. So what you're talking about is inclusivity, isn't it? We need to of include course. all parties that are in being influenced and those who will be impacted by those decisions being at the table for discussion. It's an inclusive discussion that will help bring different perspectives, different backgrounds, different experiences. We're all going through a common experience right now. Yes, but it's but even but this is an inclusivity that requires an aggregated response. Right. This is an inclusivity that needs to understand that we are all in the same boat. And this is an inclusivity that requires us to understand our boat is leaking and we're not going to get through this without pain. Time and the people who, who are going to pay the most is are, is Ukraine. Well, which which you're talking about are leaders who bring people together to solve problems and not leaders who work independently and not care about how others are impacted by how they solve problems. Well, I'm also talking about people who are who can make the corporate body understand the situation they're in. Yeah, this is not just about politics. This has got so many different stakeholders that yes. all that need to come together and work together. I believe that Biden is doing is doing as good a job as he as he can probably. But my biggest disappointment is that he has not globalized this conflict. The the impact of this conflict. He has talked to us, but his speeches to us have not included the rest of the world. He has, he has been too busy trying to be, he has, he has been too busy preparing for the next election. And I hate to say it, then he has been in truly, he's been too busy preparing for the next election and being angry at Putin and Russia than getting us to understand why we should be angry at Putin and Russia and what the impact is having on all of those countries we're trying to help by sending vaccines to these countries for free. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they get a vaccine, if they can't get bread. So the, the concept, uh, if we combine both of our visions of leadership, the empathic leader, with the inclusive leader, you really do get a leader who can approach people's heads and hearts to work together for the common good. And then to accept me as a human being, as a leader too. Right. Don't sanctify me. I'm not asking for that as a leader. What I'm asking for is to make sure you understand, as uh, Franklin Roosevelt said during the, during the Great Depression, some of this stuff is going to work, some of it isn't. I don't know, but we're going to try. Right. We're not just going to sit down and talk about it. We're going to make we're going to get people back to work as best we can. We need to be saying we're going to stop this war so that we can deal with the global economy. We're fighting a war on two fronts. China is still trying to control this pandemic through severe autocratic means. But 
they were the center of a global economy. In stopping this war, we helped China. But maybe we figured out that we can't completely have a global economy if China is going to be at the center of it. So 21st century leadership, combination of inclusivity. It's a global world. This isolationism of just focusing on one country in a world where everything has a trickle-down effect um, takes a leader who can see globally. And I, and, I think still that's and still protect this country's best interests. Right. Right. And, and, I, and I, I think if they can create a solution, a global solution in many cases with the country's best interest in mind, um, that leader can get stuff done. That leader can cross the, cross the, uh, the chasm known as the, you know, the, the left and right. I hope so. But more importantly, that's what we need. And if, and if someone appears and is allowed to and makes it, they won't, we won't know for years to come. But that's what we need to get out of this. Right. Right. Well, I'm not sure I see anybody in the radar screen who brings those qualities to the table and FDR is no longer around. Well, let me put it this way. It is not just dependent on the leader, by the way. Right. We have to know how to follow, too. Yes. And so you're looking at leadership. I think the key is engagement. I okay. think leaders come out of engagement. And I don't necessarily think it has to be one. I think it can be a set of leaders that learn to work together. But you, you don't know who they are if everybody sits back and waits for somebody else to get it done. Transparency is important, but transparency without trust means nothing. Right. You know, that word trust, and it's something we could spend hours talking about. We don't have it. Right. And that is our problem. How can you trust somebody when, for instance, the January 6th hearing, Pelosi tried to get Republicans on that. On the committee. On the committee. Right. They initially supported the process. But then they only wanted to be on the committee so that they could scuttle it. How does that begin in an atmosphere of trust when my job is to scuttle what you're trying to do? Well, I mean, I think right now, you, and we've talked about this, is there's, there is no trust between both sides of the red herd and the blue herd. Well, so. the one thing that I do like about the January 6th hearing is I don't care that the Republicans on that committee are outsiders to their herd. They are clearly Republicans. And as a committee, they are clearly working together. Right. They are proving that you can trust. Now, now you may dismiss them because you believe that they are, they are a political anomaly, but they aren't. They extol and express in every hearing, and I believe on a daily basis, that they are working for a democracy that the other party participated in trying to, to undermine and even asked for pardons for their participation. You have to respect those that go against the norm and are willing to listen yes. and, and participate and not just shut things down. Yes. So I, I think we have, we have not had that. And if I don't think we said enough about this, this committee has, this, has demonstrated exactly what you want to happen. Exactly. And, and I would love to see more members of the Republican Party represented on the committee, even if they were not as 
open-minded, but just there listening. Oh, so so would I. Uh, so would I. I don't care if they fought in the back, but not now. It's too late now. I mean, no. at, 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 at this point, there are many Republicans wishing they had been on the committee. I think I heard a quote from uh, Mar-a-Lago to that effect at some point as well. Really? Yeah. I think he, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of people who felt that they could have had a, a, a little bit more control in what was being shared if they had um, a more balanced committee. Well, so, he was the one who stopped it. Yep. Well, since I'm sorry is not in his dictionary, but I, I do think um, I, I do think that that committee has shown the cape a, a, a glimmer of hope of reaching across the aisle. What I love about it is it's a, it's a it's a glorious civics lesson for me. Yeah. For for, for the country. Right. Anyway, I have so, to go, and it's, it's peanut uh, butter time for you. It, no, I, I thought it was just good to get on to just just talk a little bit about leadership and some visions for leadership because we really haven't talked that direction and and uh. I think part of these courageous conversations is about seeing what direction we can help others in, in terms of becoming leaders in this profession. Or well, I agree with that. I, I would like for us to talk a little more about citizenry. Ooh, citizenry. Okay. Rather than fellowship, but citizenry, active citizenry. All right. Well, we will try to remember to jump on that and, and not get distracted by the world around us. Until next time. No, no, no. You can't. No, see, it's the world around us that requires it. Yes. But we get distracted and we forget the topic. So somewhere I will note citizenry for the future. In All the right. meantime, you have a good rest of your day. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.